A friend of mine and I were laughing a couple of weeks ago because we were realizing that these um, memes and videos, the reels that we get on social media are very, very targeted uh, and targeted appropriately. This friend of mine is in construction. And so when he gets these targeted videos sent to him, they're often funny videos of construction vehicles, uh, you know, mauling over houses, falling into rivers and things like that, or hapless workers that are injuring themselves with power tools. When I get these videos, they tend to gravitate a little bit more towards, I guess you could say the religious. Uh, They're funny videos of pastors with Freudian slips in the middle of their sermons, or the pyramids catching on fire while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, so nobody knows that everything's blazing behind the pastor. Um, But the parable that we read this morning uh, reminded me of one of these videos that I saw while mindlessly scrolling on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it was. This video that I saw is called The Honest Preacher. Imagine if you will, a rather young but weary-looking pastor in his robes, nice green stole coming up to the pulpit in a pretty nice little sanctuary. The pastor opens his Bible up and he says to his audience, today's reading comes from the book of Proverbs. The pastor looks around into the eyes of the people around him and then just slams his head on the pulpit. And you hear this groan. If I might digress for a moment from my prepared message this morning, friends, you guys, sometimes you're bad. You're supposed to be good. What are you doing? You're making me look bad in front of God. The pastor starts gesticulating and waving his arms around. He's complaining. He's just nailing his audience. And he looks and he finds one person. I'm going to look here because there's nobody here. He finds one person and he says, Dan, what's your deal? If the rest of you don't know, Dan is the worst. I took a vow. I'm not supposed to tell you who's the worst. Dan's the worst. He picks up his Bible one more time and he says, this is the word of the Lord. Stop it. Amen. I would never dream of doing that, obviously. And I don't know that there's any Dan in this room, but if there is or if there's somebody online watching Dan, I do apologize. This was not uh, directed towards you. But I do feel like this story is a little bit of a funny story that... Uh, helps us reflect a little bit about the parable that we read this morning. This parable, like the honest preacher in this video, acknowledges that the world and that even the community of faith, even the church, does not look the way that we would hope it does. Last week, we talked about that parable of the sower, the parable of the four soils. We talked about the task of cultivating good soil Cultivating this good soil in our own hearts and cultivating good soil in our communities. When that soil is cultivated, abundant fruit will come. But you know what else grows in good soil? 
weeds. Our parable this week immediately follows this parable of the sower. And in this parable, we find that yet again, someone is sowing seed. And in this parable, there are actually two people sowing. The farmer sows good seed in the field and an enemy follows up with bad seed and both seeds sprout. There's a type of weed common to this day in Israel and around the world and it's called the bearded darnel. I don't know if I'm actually saying that right, but it's called the bearded darnel and the bearded darnel is a mimic weed. It looks from seed to sprout throughout its entire life cycle exactly like wheat. And until modern seed sorting equipment was designed, it was common for a farmer himself to sow bearded darnel into his field, thinking that he was sowing wheat. This plant, the bearded darnel, its root systems grow big. They entangle themselves with the wheat around and the plant leaches resources away from its neighbors. When the weed is pulled, the wheat comes with it. And what's worse is that if this plant is actually harvested and processed with the wheat, it ruins the entire harvest because this seed causes something like a drunken nausea for those that eat it. This is not a weed you want growing in your field of wheat. And if you notice that it's there, you often want to know why it's there, how you got the bad seed and what you're going to do about it. These are the questions that Jesus is answering in the telling of this parable. The slaves asked the householder, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where did these weeds come from? And once they received the answer, they asked, do you want us to go and gather them? Matthew is the only gospel writer that includes this parable. He's the only gospel writer that has this parable in his gospel. And because of this, biblical scholars as far back as Augustine in the fourth century think that there was something about the particular community that Matthew wrote to that caused them to need to hear this parable, to answer these questions. It's widely thought that the gospel of Matthew was written in the city of Antioch on the Rontes. Uh, modern day, that's in southeast Turkey. And it's thought that Matthew probably wrote sometime in the late 70s, maybe even into the early 80s. Now, this Antioch, it sits only about two weeks away uh, for a constant walk, two weeks away from Jerusalem, just straight north. And in the first century, this city, Antioch, had a pretty sizable Jewish population. They were a remnant that was left over from the Babylonian exile that had remained there even after some of their neighbors had returned to Israel. By the year 70 CE, though, the Roman legions had just finished a three-year campaign in Israel, and they had destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They'd murdered most of the priesthood. They raised the city, tore the temple down stone by stone, stealing all of the resources and gold, and they burned what was remaining to the ground. During the three years of this war, Jewish and Jewish Christian refugees fled to Antioch. They fled to those that they knew were living in Antioch with the hopes of finding safety and finding security. It's this community of refugees 
this community of Jewish and Jewish Christians that Matthew writes to. The questions that this parable answers are the same questions that this community would have been asking. If our God is a God of love, if our God is sowing seeds of love, why instead do we see so much violence and hatred? And if this God of love is the one that is building this community of faith, that this God of love is the one that calls the people of God to gather, why do we see even in this called community hatred and violence? And if this God of love is the God that I claim to follow, why do I see so much hatred within myself? Why are there so many weeds among the wheat? What do we do to get rid of them? An author named Alexander John Shia, who has come and taught here before, explains that in this Jewish community in Antioch, there were four general reactions that the people had in response to the situation that they found themselves in. Again, the temple was destroyed. Priests were killed, and they were cast out of the place that they had been worshiping for centuries, and they needed to know how to move forward, how to respond in faith, whether to even respond in faith. There were four, four general reactions. The first one was this. The first group thought that the long-imagined end of the world had started. That God had given up and abandoned the people and that there was nothing that anyone could do to save the world at this point. This first group pretty much just resigned themselves to face death at the hands of the Romans and judgment from this God. And there was another group, and this was probably the largest group. This group was just too exhausted. They were too traumatized, too distracted, just trying to survive to give any thought to questions of why or what to do. This group says that this is happening simply because it's happening, and the only thing that I can do is try to live today. The third group, I think, is the one that really interests us today with this parable. This third group's response is probably one that we are most familiar with. It's a response that we do read about in the Bible a lot with many different groups, but it's also a response that we see way too often here in our church and we see when we turn on the news. This third group answers the question of why there's so much evil in the world, why there are so many weeds with this, God is punishing us, and the way forward is to find a scapegoat. This third group blamed lax morality and unrighteousness for the plight of the people. This is the voice of parts of the apocalyptic communities of ancient Israel. It's also the voice that we see today when we see somebody blame a natural disaster on the people that the natural disaster hurts. For this group, then, the only thing that will save the people is to eliminate the weeds. This group sought to uh, enforce a stricter moral code. And those that couldn't live up to the code were forced out of the community. Thankfully, there was a fourth response. 
This fourth, this final group saw that their problems, they saw the problems much differently than the rest of these groups. This group of Jewish refugees believed that the Jewish Messiah had already come in Jesus of Nazareth and somehow strangely had been killed by the empire just like so many of their brothers and sisters. And yet this Jesus had resurrected. This fourth and final group is a fledgling Christian community asking why Jesus' coming didn't bring the kingdom in the fullness that they expected. Our parable this morning may be Jesus' response, maybe Matthew's response to these kinds of questions. Why are there so many weeds amongst the wheat? Jesus' answer is pretty simple. An enemy has done this. To say that an enemy has done this means that God did not. God is not the one that sows seeds of hatred and violence and injustice. It is not the God of love that sows bad seed. Jesus says it was an enemy, but then he simply moves on. It's as if to say that the enemy really isn't the important part of the story. The enemy It could be the devil, it could be Rome, but the antagonist isn't really the important piece here. Good and bad seeds have been sowed. Good and bad plants are growing, and what's important is how this sower wants to treat the field that they have been sowed in. This master tells the workers to let all things grow. Good seed, bad seed, wheat or weed, don't pull any of it up. It all belongs in this field. Matthew's community and our community is instructed in this parable not to cast out the weeds, but to let them grow. And I'd say that it even goes further than this. In last week's parable, we imagined that in some ways we were the workers in the field. But this week it's different. In this week's story, it's explicit that we are not the workers. Matthew says that God's angels are the workers. In this parable, we're just seed and sprout. And the growth of what has been planted is more important than culling the field. We, as weed and wheat, are certainly not tasked with judging whether our neighbor is weed or wheat. We're just called to grow. In last week's parable, the growth of the seed was hindered. It was hindered by the circumstances of life, by distractions, by troubles, by persecution, and even by an enemy that plucked away the seed. But none of these things ultimately prevented the harvest from growing. And in this week's parable, the growth is assumed. Dr. Frederick Dale Bruner comments that in this parable, the enemy cannot prevent the seed from growing. So instead, the enemy tries to corrupt the wheat's capacity to act with love. By casting bad seed, the enemy attempts to goad the wheat into taking over the field for itself, tries to spur the wheat into participating in hatred and violence by distracting it with a preoccupation with evil instead of a vocation of love. This parable asks the community of Christ to not judge. This is something that Jesus had been asking them to do from the beginning of this gospel explicitly in the Sermon on the Mount. 
This parable tells me that I'm not supposed to stand up here and tell you that Dan is the worst. And neither are you. This parable calls us to trust. It calls us to trust that the one that can actually tell the difference between a grain of wheat and a grain of bearded darnel will separate and deal with them as he sees fit. And in the end, this should probably give us as much pause as it does hope. It should give me pause because I know that within me there's another parable that could be told about a field. That the field of my own heart has been cast with both wheat and weeds and in my own soul there is both good and bad. But this parable, while it gives pause, might also give me hope because I then remember that the God that does the judging is the one that has promised love and grace. I do need that within me that causes sin, that within me that fails to love to be burned away. But I can trust that the God that does so will not burn me away with it. And if that's true for me, then it's true for you. And it's true for each of our brothers and sisters. 20th century writer James Adams once quipped, There is so much good in the worst of us. And so much bad in the best of us. That it ill behooves any of us to find fault with the rest of us. Our church here in this place claims an identity of being a community for belonging for all. And part of our purpose statement is that we welcome all people. It is not our job to separate the wheat from the weeds. And so may we live into these aspirations. May we together trust that the God who promises peace and grace is the one that's in charge of this entire massive field that we call the church. That it is this God that's in charge of all the world. And that this God knows wheat from weed. And that when this God burns away the weed, which causes sin, that none of God's children will be harmed. May we, as wheat and weed, simply be faithful to the call of the good news. To grow. May we be agents of love and hospitality. In the name of the God of grace and the King of peace. In the spirit of love. Amen.